1917 in Greenwich Village, New York, huddled in a back room of a bar called Hell Hole. A group of bohemian artists, intellectuals, and misfits gathered to share a good time. Among this particular group that night was the country's leading playwright, a man named Eugene O'Neill, and his closest friend and drinking buddy, the left-wing journalist Dorothy Day. For reasons unknown that night, O'Neill began quoting Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven. The poem describes our common flight from God and his constant loving pursuit of us. Part of his poem goes like this. I fled him, a capital H. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind and in the midst of the tears I hid from him. Dorothy Day had never heard O'Neill speak about this poem before. His words sobered her, sobered the entire group. And in the quietness and stillness of those moments, the company just got up and departed. Eugene O'Neill and Dorothy Day would then not see each other for a decade. Eugene O'Neill continued his pursuit of the arts, and he often wrote about a God who failed to, to make good on his promises. He wrote of sin, shame, and the terror of death. He won four Pulitzer Prizes and a Nobel Prize in literature, but happiness and contentment eluded him. Dorothy Day married twice, aborted her first two pregnancies, finally bore a daughter by a man that she never married. But in December 1927, Dorothy Day finally surrendered to the hound of heaven. She entered the Catholic Church lived a life of poverty with no income and spent her days caring for the homeless on the streets not far from that hellhole bar. Dorothy never stopped <clears throat> praying for her friend, her friend who that night in a dingy bar began quoting the poem, The Hound of Heaven. She did not know if Eugene O'Neill's soul was ever awakened. We do know that she was at his bedside while he was on his deathbed. She kept vigil, praying that he would unclench his fist and grasp the hand that had been reaching out to him. She hoped to hear him recite 
the words of the poem from that night. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. Francis Thompson, the author of the poem Hound of Heaven, was a follower of Christ, but he struggled. He struggled with needs. He struggled with poverty. He's, he's uh, with poor health and with an addiction to opium, which was over the counter in the day. In the depth, depth of his despair, he described his flight from God. I fled him down the nights and down the days, and I hid from him under running laughter. I sped from those strong feet that always followed me. Thompson knew that Jesus was the unrelenting hound of heaven. He himself was the intended target of this holy and unyielding pursuit. The poem, The Hound of Heaven, inspired 23 paintings, a short film in 2014, mentioned in numerous books and uh, songs, as in countless conversations and letters. For instance, the name John Stott might mean something to some of you. He was a conservative uh, British pastor, author, international speaker, and he died nine years ago this month. In one uh, telling of his testimony, he said these words, My faith is due to Jesus Christ himself, who pursued me relentlessly when I was running away from him in order to get my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. This morning is all about the hound of heaven and his relentless pursuit of you and me. The passage of our study of late, Romans 8, 29, and 30, tells us these things, that at some point in eternity past, God foreknew us. That is, God saw us prior, beforehand, before our birth. At some point in eternity past, God turned and saw us, and he loved us, and he placed his hand upon us. That was an event in time past that literally actually happened, and the effects of that moment in time past have great implication today. He foreknew us. Last week we talked about the fact that he predestined us. He has predetermined us to this task. 
that we be conformed into the image of his son. As he saw you in eternity past and loved you and began to draw you, he then applied upon your life the goal of being conformed to the image of Jesus. That is happening in your life. That was the word spoken by God in eternity past about you. It is being fulfilled today. The Spirit of God is constantly, it is, the, it is an absolute in your life. But we learn from this passage that not only <clears throat> has God foreseen us, not only has God predestined us into this way of life, but we now see that he has called us. Again, that same aorist tense that says that it is an event that has happened in time past, but it has great application uh, and inspiration for us today. It is something that has been applied without our consent upon our lives. And that is the direction we're going. But at some point in this process, the hound of heaven steps in. And he begins to call us. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these also he called. At the same time, God foreknew you and predestined you. In that same absolute moment of reality, God also said, I called you. And so the application of that in our lives today is that the Spirit of God is constantly drawing you, constantly calling you into ministry, into salvation, into uh, your life in work and recreation and uh, street that you live on, the Spirit of God is and will always be calling, drawing, and wooing you into God's plan. <clears throat> there are several points that um, we could make in this, but um, the thing I want us to see mostly uh, is found in Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. So uh, let me share that passage uh, with you. Now, we know that <laughs> there are different types of callings. There is the calling of God unto salvation, where God draws the sinner into 
faith, repentance, and then becoming born again. But there's also the calling of God into ministry, into vocational, full-time ministry, or into ministry in your life that he's drawing you, calling you to do every day. The drawing, the calling of God. And by the way, this word calling comes from the uh, world of fishery. And it, it, it uh, embolizes, it pictures a fisherman th- casting his line. Draw, and as he catches a fish, he's drawing the fish into the boat. And that is the image of calling. God is pulling. God is drawing. And he will continue to do that. This passage that we're going to look at in Hebrews 3, it supersedes all other callings. I mean, what we're going to see in Hebrews 3 Uh, can be superimposed upon God's calling into salvation, God's calling into ministry, God's calling into the everyday uh, plan of God. What we're going to see will will be superimposed over it all because it's such a powerful passage. Uh, Hebrews 3. Let's turn there and... uh, Read this, Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the days of rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation, And said, they will always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. God's calling upon our lives to faithfulness. These elements can be applied to any of us, all of us, as they relate to the calling of God. Three points I want to highlight in this passage that will help us to understand how God draws us and what that the the purpose behind that drawing. We will look at these three points. The intensity of God's calling, the individuality of God's calling, and then thirdly, he gives us an illustration concerning the calling of God. But before we get to that te- this text and, uh, and dig deep, I need to make mention that Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 is actually a quote from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And for all practical purposes, Psalm 95 is a song of praise. It's a ballad of blessing. It is a call of God's people to worship him. Psalm 95, 
Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him in his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. That's verses 1 through 6. 7 through 11 then is our text. For he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. They tried me. And though they saw my work, for 40 years I was grieved with that generation. And I said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore they would not enter my rest. So in effect, the psalmist is making a passionate plea for the people of God to understand who he is and to come back together under his majesty and authority and grace and love and to worship him as the king of kings. The psalmist said in 5 and 6 for the Lord in Psalm 95 for the Lord is the great God and great king above all gods. The sea is his for he made it his hands formed the dry land. So come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And then the writer of the book of Hebrews lifted verses 7 through 11 and placed them in his epistle. So this supersedes any call. We can't go any further without reading and understanding the very first word of this call. <clears throat> he says, today. The Holy Spirit says, today. Today. If you hear his voice. Now. If you're being drawn. In these moments. If the spirit of God is drawing you. Don't harden your heart. Please hear the truth. Today. Right now, in these moments, if the Spirit of God is drawing you, don't quench the Spirit. Don't harden your heart. You know, <clears throat> The first time 
that God ever put this heaviness, this calling. The first time I ever experienced uh, 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 post-salvation, the first time I ever experienced this real uh, burning, calling, drawing of God, I was in uh, college. I had just become a Christian, and I just felt this great need to go back to or to go to I was at Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls to drive to San Marcos, Texas, where my two best friends in high school uh, were attending Texas State University. The longer I put it off, the heavier the burden. So finally, I made the track and uh, <clears throat> track and got there and. I failed miserably. I did. I tried. I, but I was so young, so new in the faith. I haven't thought about that story in 30, 40 years. But a few months ago, <clears throat> I got news that one of those guys died. I'd lost touch with them, and um, my first thought was, did anybody ever tell him? Where is his soul right now? And I thought back <clears throat> to those days. Today, right now, in this moment, if the Spirit of God is drawing you, that calling of God that he set in place sometime in eternity past. That constant drawing, that constant wooing is of the Spirit of God. It is God's plan for you at that moment. Don't harden your heart. Don't fear it. Learn to submit to it. And bow your heads for a moment. Father, all of us know what it is to be drawn by the Spirit of God. All of us have experienced that quiet wooing that whispered come. But it's been getting louder and louder. Help us this morning, every one of us. If we're being drawn, not to harden our hearts.